This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, Episode 12. Listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now, your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, where we come on once a week to help you with your recording studio business. Today's topic is something that is near and dear to my heart. And it's near and dear to my heart because it's something that I kind of stumbled into without really knowing what I was doing. See, in my studio, four, five, six recordings, I have been recording, mixing, mastering. I've done it all in the heavy music niche. I did not niche down by service like my podcast co-host, Chris, but I've niched down by genre. And I've even moved down further to niche down to mixing and mastering in heavy music. This has been a niche that I've been a part of since high school. I don't know how I got into it. I just fell into it. I toured in a metal band for a number of years. I I've traveled around the world in 44 states in the US, eight countries around the world on tour. And I've built a lot of relationships up over the years doing that. So when I started recording bands, it was a natural niche for me to fall into. You as the listener, you may not have that same story. You may not have that same background where you just fall into a specific niche naturally. And so if you are currently struggling to figure out how you are supposed to niche down, to choose your niche, to find your happy place as we call it, then this episode is going to be for you. So here is my conversation with Chris Graham. Brian Hood. Yes. How are you today, sir? I'm pretty good. It's a snow day here in Nashville. So the world has ended for all of the city and I'm stuck in my house and I had to resort to eating pancakes for lunch. It's a snow day in Columbus, Ohio as well. Uh, we have like eight, nine inches and I had a snowball fight with my oldest son yesterday. Oh, nice. No, we had three inches of snow, and it's, it's over here. The city's done. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, question. I have noticed, as I've gotten into conversations about our podcast, and as we've gotten emails um, from people, uh, podcast at the sixfigurehomestudio.com, and I would say probably the most common question we get is people wanting to know more about Niching down. What does that mean, Brian? What is niching down? So niching down is focusing exclusively on one area. If you're to look at all the genres in the world and all the services you could offer for your studio, that's the entire ocean. Niching down is like diving deep into one specific area and focusing only on that. If you can niche down, if you can cater to one specific audience or genre or service or location, if you can niche down in some way, shape, or form, you will ultimately do better. You'll make more money or you'll have a more successful career if you can do that effectively. Yeah, I love that. And I think a, a, a good example, a proof of that, if you will, is you know if I try to name someone in audio who is successfully a jack of all trades, they do everything, I don't think I can. I Honestly, we were talking about this before, the, before we started recording today and I honestly doesn't matter what genre it is or what producer, whatever it is, I can't think of one single person that is a master of everything. Yeah. So there's a great phrase that I love that I use all the time, and it's major in your majors, minor in your minors. What do you mean by that? It's this idea that um, we all have majors. We have things that we are just innately good at. So like college, because I didn't go to college. I didn't have a major or a minor. So speak to me when you're talking about this stuff. Gotcha. Well, it's not a college thing. It's, uh, you know, I am good at making puns. Well, you're a, you're a dad, so you have to be. 
yeah, my pun my pun skills are really good. My knock knock joke skills are not so good. So when I'm trying to make my kids laugh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a pun joke. I'm gonna leave the knock knock jokes alone. So I, this idea of majoring your majors and minoring your minors is if is figuring out what are you not that good at, and you can do one of two things. You can either try to get better in the thing that you're not that good at, or you can just try to avoid it. And the thing that is just mind blowing to me is that in our school system, in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, whatever, what we're taught is your only path to success is to get good at the things that you aren't gifted in. And you look at, you look at entrepreneurship, you look at the marketplace and the only people that are successful are the ones who have found a way to only do what they're good at and avoid what they're bad at. And, you know, obviously there's going to be some things that you have to be good at, even if you're bad at them. You have to push yourself and challenge yourself and not let this sort of thing be an excuse to not stretch your abilities. But at the same time, what were you going to say? Yeah. So the big thing for me is like, I didn't used to be a reader. I didn't read books. And there are some skills like reading that are what I would call a meta skill where you better figure that one out. Um, you know, it's a multiplier. Everything else that you do is a, uh, can be affected by your ability to read well. So outside of meta skills like speaking well, writing well, reading well, by and large in the marketplace can make a good living by avoiding things that you hate. For example, like I didn't do well in Spanish in school. I like to tell people that I took three years of Spanish in high school. Spanish uno, y Spanish uno, y Spanish dos. Took Spanish one twice there for those of you that don't speak any Spanish. So here's the thing. I don't, I don't do any Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. I don't need to. I master Spanish music all the time. I don't know what they're saying. So bringing this back to the recording world, the studio world, uh, there's a lie that I hear a lot that is if you niche down, whether it's in service or genre or something else, if you niche down, you're missing out on opportunities. You're missing out on income that you could be making. Man, I love that. So one of my heroes is Henry Ford. And Henry Ford, I read his autobiography a couple of years ago. Well, I read most of his autobiography a couple of years ago. He said something that blew my mind. It leveled me. And he said, the thing that you see in all successful people, unlike unsuccessful people, is that a successful person can walk past a small pile of money to get to a bigger pile of money. And that was just mind-blowing that, you know, when I have been unhealthy emotionally or in my business, I fixate on the small pile of money and I don't keep my eyes on the big pile of money. And that's what keeps people down. People that are successful are able to walk past a small pile of money for a bigger pile of money. That's niching down. That's well said. So the way I say it is, and I love what Henry Ford there said, and he's saying the same thing here is, if you try to speak to everyone, you speak to no one. So if you try to say yes to that small pile of money, you're not going to get that big pile of money, in other words. Yeah. And it's kind of like this idea, you know, when I was a single guy back in college, uh, before me and my wife got married, people used to explain to me like, hey, uh, if you're dating a girl that you kind of like, you're passing up an opportunity to date someone that you might really like. You can only really be serious with one person. And that really kind of had a big impact on me. And I barely, I really didn't date in college. And that worked out really well for me because my wife is a 10. Yeah. So with business, it's the same thing. When you take on the project that you don't want to do, doing the specific thing that you don't want to do, 
that's time lost not looking for the projects that you do want to do. And it's also time lost as you build a reputation as a mediocre jack of all trades as opposed to someone who's amazing at one thing, who's quote unquote the guy when it comes to X, Y, or Z. So the big thing here, I love history. I love biographies. And I'll never forget, I read Mark Cuban's autobiography um, maybe five, six years ago. And his big advice was, hey, start reading biographies. So I did. And I've read lots and lots of biographies since then. And what you see in every industry throughout history is there aren't many jacks of all trades. In virtually every industry, in every business, and in every you know, area of life, people focused on one thing. And they developed a name for themselves by focusing on one thing. There are very few people that you can name that were really successful in multiple fields. The only person I could think of is Ben Franklin, world's best diplomat, world's best scientist, world's best politician. Unfreaking believable. I'm not Ben Franklin, so I try to focus on one thing. All right, so let's talk about specifically some actionable content here. Let's talk about how to actually niche down. Chris, what are some ways we can niche down? That's a great question. Um, and I think we're, we're to the good stuff, right? We're to the part where everyone's like, yeah, all right, how do I do it? How do I do it? So I think it's important. There's a, there's a book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Outliers. Um, pretty famous book. And in the book, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this idea of 10,000 hours. That when you've done one task and you've spent 10,000 hours doing it, that you develop superhuman skills. That you can do things that other people couldn't imagine possible. And that's one of the ways that, you know, mastery, not mastering, but mastery to master a skill is done, is that you have to put in a lot of time to suddenly have this superhuman matrix style, you know, I can, I see the ones and the zeros in the system type of thing. Just for those who are wondering, that's eight hours a day for 3.42 years, every single day of the year. Yeah. So for me, that's how my career panned out. You know, I at one point decided I'm just going to focus on mastering and I was good at it at the time. I was much better than anybody else that I knew in my community. Um, and about three or four years later, I was, I would have never been able to imagine how much better I would be three or four years after I only started doing mastering. And it was, I was only able to pull that off by not doing anything else. And yeah, it was terrifying. Um, I met with a friend of mine um, the other day who was one of my first clients once I only started doing mastering. And it was, it was super scary to say, I'm going to be only doing mastering from now on. And I don't know how I'm going to bring all those projects in, but I'm terrified. Um, but it was a good decision. And that decision to niche down can look different. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it. But I think one of the most important things and the number one thing on our little outline we're looking at here is mastering one skill at a time. You can be the master of many skills. However, if you're trying to master a dozen skills simultaneously, it's probably not going to go well. You probably don't have the mental bandwidth to handle that. I know I sure don't. I definitely don't. So I try to focus on one thing at a time. And I think if you, if you look at people who have mastered things, skills throughout history, that that generally tends to be it that they focused on one thing at a time or what they would do is have a side gig that wasn't mentally taxing um, that allowed them to focus on one thing at a time. Einstein, case in point, Einstein got himself a really easy job as a patent clerk so that he could focus on theoretical physics. 
And it was because he had the time to stare out a window because he could complete his job really, really fast that he was able to become the greatest theoretical physicist of all time. So it's not bad to get a part-time job at something that's easy. A security guard comes to mind. If you got a job where you can just sit and read books all day long or watch YouTube videos and you get paid to watch the door, you can get to mastery pretty quick. So I want to add to this, the 10,000 hours thing. And that is, it's not just 10,000 hours on a certain skill. I think it's 10,000 hours in a lot of different things. 10,000 hours in a specific genre, perhaps. 10,000 hours on building relationships in that network. It's a lot of different things that you can put your 10,000 hours towards. And so, you know, you can't necessarily focus on one specific thing for 10,000 hours. I think it's more of you're focused on what is going to make you unique. That one thing is your 10,000 hour thing. And everything that ties into that is part of putting your 10,000 hours in. So in my world, in my niche, you know, I mix and master heavy music. I didn't start out mixing and mastering. I started out doing full tracking, editing, mixing, mastering. You know, I wasn't bad at any of those, but I wasn't amazing at any of those. And so what my 10,000 hours was, was building relationships and getting my, my name out there in the heavy music world. And then only as I put more and more time into developing all these different skills, did I finally realize that mixing and mastering was the thing in my niche that I was going to do. And I'd already put a lot of time, that 10,000 hours into building relationships, getting past clients, all these little things that add up into making me known in my one niche. You know, that is really cultivating your 10,000 hours in a lot of different areas to, to come together to be what I would consider niched down. Yeah. So you brought up a, a good point here about niching down to what makes you unique. You know, niching down by itself won't work. You know, if I want to focus and niche down um, and be exactly like everybody else in that niche, I'm going to have a pretty hard time competing. The only way I'm going to be able to compete is by stealing customers from people who have already established themselves in that niche. That's a tough way to do business. So you have to, and we've talked about this in the past, you have to have a unique selling proposition, a UPS, USP, haha, <laughs> a USP. If you don't have a unique selling proposition, which is, hey, I do this one specific thing or I do this one specific thing in this unique way, you're going to have a hard time making customers because you're not going to be a good fit for any customer. So when I first started producing, this is years and years ago, this is, I think, 15 years ago, my unique thing was I had a portable studio when nobody had a portable studio. I had one of the first Firewire interfaces and I would show up at someone's house. We'd hang up a bunch of blankets in, the, in their guest bedroom and we would record records in their house. I'd set up a temporary home studio in their home. And that was really appealing to people because I could charge way less than using a normal studio. And for singer-songwriters, that was a really big hit. People loved that because they could record a lot for not a whole lot of money. The big idea here was if you don't have something unique that you offer, you're going to have a hard time being successful because you're always going to play second fiddle. I see this all the time in my students. And I, I still try to talk this sort of mindset into a lot of the students that I currently have, even ones that I've been working with for a long time. It's the fact that they work in all genres. They don't have anything that really makes them unique. And they're wondering why their business is struggling. And so in their minds, they cannot wrap their head around, well, why would I turn down work in country to work in rock when I don't make enough money in any of this to make ends meet? And the reality is you appeal to no one. Your studio is speaking to everyone and no one is going to come to you. And the analogy I always use is you can insert whatever niche you want in this. Uh, I'm going to use my niche because I know it best. 
if I put on my website that I mix and master heavy music, or specifically my website's URL is, or my website's headline is, want pissed off heavy mixes? <laughs> like, I speak the language of my audience. So if I have this website that speaks exclusively to my niche, and my portfolio has only my niche's ideal type of work on there, so mixing and mastering of heavy style music, you know, if that's the way everything is, all the wording, all of the, you know, instruments in the photos of my studio, if I'm, you know, back when I used to have photos of my actual studio, uh, all the instruments were, you know, a seven string guitar or a baritone guitar, things that heavier mu musicians want because they want low tuned stuff. If that's the way I speak to my ideal client on my website and they're looking at four or five different studios, all of which are just generalists, who do you think they're going to work with? Do you think they're going to come to any of the studios who speak to everyone? They're, they have a country song in their portfolio. They have a pop song in their portfolio. They have pop punk. They have a metal song in their portfolio. They have a uh, hip hop song in their portfolio. You know, their website's very generic. It doesn't speak to anyone because it has to speak to everyone. Who do you think they're going to work with? They're not going to work with any of those other people. I will get that artist 1000% of the time, unless just for some reason, other than the, the conversation of money, that's the only thing that could ever keep people from working with me versus the other people is if they're way cheaper. But I don't ever want people to differentiate on price. I want you to differentiate on a niche or offering something unique. And that's what this entire conversation comes back to is what is it that you do that makes you unique? If you can't answer that question, you are going to struggle significantly in this business, period. Yeah. Well, I think it comes back to this Henry Ford quote, you know, that successful people have this skill to walk past a small pile of money to get to a bigger pile of money. And what that means, when you niche down, you are turning down work. You are saying to a certain type of client, I'm not the best for you. And when you say that, you're saying, I know there's money. I know that's a pile of money right there. I know there's some opportunity, but I'm turning it down so I can focus on bigger and better things. And I think the biggest misconception about what a website should do or what a brand should do or what your company should do is that everybody that comes to your website should say, hey, this is pretty good. That's not a great website. A great website has a few people that come to it and say, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I need. Oh my gosh, this guy would be perfect for us. If someone doesn't go on your website, and we're just assuming, if you're listening you know, a dozen episodes in to a, a podcast on how to have a six-figure home studio, we're going to go ahead and assume that you have a website or that you're planning a website for your service. When someone goes to your website, a few of the people that go should say, oh my gosh, this guy would be perfect for us. Yeah, 90, more than 95% of the people that come to my website leave and never come back. Ditto. And that's completely okay. I mean, it, obviously you want to get that number up as high as you can, but what you're doing is you're saying, I do this, I do only this, I do this extraordinarily well. If you are not this, then go away. Yeah. But yeah. those those people that you speak to, that small percentage of people that you speak to, that is more than enough to sustain a business. And that's all you need. You need someone to say, hell yes, this is me. Everyone else can go away. Yeah. You could phrase that and say that your job as a business owner is to get just a couple people to say hell yes to working with you. Not, uh, he'll do. You're never going to have a lot of success if the bulk of your work is, uh, he'll do. It's not going to work. So I think, man, this is actually really helpful for me of like clarifying these concepts, you know, as we're talking about them, that your goal is to get a small percentage of the people that encounter you to say, wow, he would be perfect for us. So one of the ways that you can do that that's immediately applicable is 
you can build a website that offers a niche service. I've seen a lot of people do this where they say, hey, I'm going to start a business. I've got all these other gigs going on. I'm making money in a couple different ways, but I'm going to start a business and that website is only going to market one thing. And I'm just going to see how it goes. I'm going to start running paid ads to it or I'm going to start promoting it uh, on my social media feeds or what have you. But this sort of idea of part-time niching is a great way to do it. Don't build a website and list all the 15 different services that you provide. No one will ever look and say, wow, he's perfect for us. The only thing you have going for you when you're a master of all, when you're presenting I can do anything, the only niche that you have is like two or three miles around your studio. You own the, if you're lucky, you're the only studio within two or three miles. That's not a very good way to start a business. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. Yeah, most serious projects these days, they're not working with one person for literally everything. There's a ton of people working on one project. Go look at like, you know, the Billboard Top 200 or whatever. Go look at the top 50 songs on the Billboard Top 200. Look how many people are involved with that, with the songwriting, with producing, with editing, with tracking, with mixing, with mastering. You know, there's dozens of people on some of these projects because they are all masters of their one tiny domain and they're making a killing on it if they're in the, you know, Billboard Top 50 tracks consistently. Yeah. So this was so hard for me when I began my career in audio. So the big thing that I believed was, well, I want to be awesome and I want to be impressive. And I generally just want people to think I'm awesome. I'm more concerned with that than money when I was first starting out. And the way that I can do that is impress them with how many different things I can do. So I can, oh, I'll record your vocals and mix your vocals and play guitars on your record and write your record and edit your record and Yada, 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 yada. It was just, it didn't work. You're going to get a bunch of local bands that you probably don't want to work with anyways. Bingo. And you're absolutely right. When you look at these songs that are mega hits, there's a bunch of specialists working on them. And that is the path to success that almost every single person has taken. There are very, very few, you know, we're in the audio world, so let's call a spade a spade here. It would be very challenging to find more than a couple songs in the past few decades that were mixed, mastered, edited, produced, co-written, instruments played by so-and-so, that it's all the same guy. These are very rare people. At least not the big successful songs. 
yeah, for me, it took me a long time to get over the ego that I had that I wanted to be, you know, this like Stevie Wonder type person, you know, that's unbelievable at everything. Okay, so for those of the people that are listening right now, you know, if they want to pick that one thing they want to put all their focus in, they want to take that one skill they have or that one niche they're in and dive all in 100%, but it's not going to make enough money to make ends meet. What do they do? And this is where you had, you know, your story of what you did whenever you switched to mastering, I think. Yeah. So here's the thing. I think the temptation when you're niching down is to have a dream of, I want to be the world's best drum editor, but I'm going to try to make money by doing other similar things to drum editing while I'm at it. Here's the problem with that. When you're doing a bunch of similar things to what you really want to do, it dilutes your brand. It dilutes your brand because when people say, um, people shouldn't say, hey, we have this problem. We need it solved. Who's good at solving this type of problem? That's not what they say. They say, who does this? Who's the guy for this? And it might be locally. It might be uh, regionally. It might be globally. Who's the guy for X, Y, and Z? So I think it's not a bad idea. And this is my story. It's not a bad idea to have the one thing that you do, but for a little while to take a completely unrelated part-time job. And my story was I started doing mastering only. I decided I wasn't going to do anything in audio except mastering. I launched my website. I went all in and I got a part-time job as a worship leader at a church. And the job was rough. It was a very difficult job and very dramatic and I don't miss it. But it allowed me to make enough money to have a decent living so I could focus on my main thing, which was mastering and know that when people met me that I could say, hi, I'm Chris Graham. I'm a mastering engineer. And that clarity of brand was a really big thing. It wasn't, oh, Chris does mastering. Let's see if he can do it. It was, no, this is what I do. This is my thing. This is my brand. And one of the biggest problems that brands have, that companies have, is they dilute their brand by being a jack of all and a master of none. So, if, if you're thinking about, I want to niche down, it doesn't have to look like I'm going to only do, you know, this thing that's my niche and, so, and I won't make any money from anything but this. That's a lie. That's an assumption that, oh, I, I can't niche down and make money from anything else. You don't need your ego validated by, I only do this and that's how I make all my money. That's not the, the goal here. The goal is to build something that grows over the long period of time. And that's what happened with mastering. I launched it. It started going pretty well, but I wasn't making enough money to bring home the bacon. So I accepted a job when I was offered a part-time gig. I made a little bit of money doing that for a few years. And in the meantime, continued to build my business. And by the time I finally stopped doing that side gig, the business was rocking and rolling. It was doing very well. And as, as a matter of fact, it became very difficult to leave my side job, my job as a part-time worship leader, when my business was going so well that I, I needed to step back from it. I was going to mention that. Um, I don't necessarily love the idea of getting an unrelated side job because of that one thing right there, the golden handcuffs. You know, whether or not you get a pay bump, you can still be tempted to get that steady paycheck. And that's why I don't necessarily love the idea of sticking to a day job in order to niche down, you know, 100%. All of this is completely dependent on you, your needs, your situation, what is going on in your life. Only you can make the decision of how you approach this niche down thing. But the number one thing to me when it comes to niching down is the ability to focus on building relationships in that one niche. In Chris's case, as a mastering engineer, 
Do you think he's going to spend time, you know, networking with one-on-one with every single client he he wants to get, getting these, you know, one-off $250, $500 projects coming in? That's not the best use of his time. Chris's best use of his time when it comes to building relationships is building relationships with other recording engineers who send him dozens of mastering projects throughout the year. One solid relationship in his niche with, if he's just focusing on those people that can send him consistent work, one of those relationships could be worth thousands or tens of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of that one person. And that's a high leverage activity of his time. In my world, when it comes to heavy music, spending my time networking, meeting people at shows, you know, inviting bands to stay over at my studio, you know, who are in my niche just to build those relationships instead of making them sleep on a floor or sleep in their van or whatever, you know, building those relationships and cultivating those relationships in my specific niche, in my specific genre with the services that I offer, that is one of the biggest impact things you can do in your studio and one of the biggest benefits of actually doing uh, niching down in some specific way. I kind of talk about it in this way. If I ask Chris to dig a hole for me with a shovel, and then I ask you, the podcast listener, to dig three holes, at the end of the day, whose hole is going to be deeper? Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Chris's hole is going to be much deeper. He has only one hole to focus on, and you know it's going to be much easier for him to dig that one hole as deep as possible. You, who has to dig three holes as the listener... That's essentially like you trying to cater to three or four different niches and trying to build relationships in three or four different areas. They don't tie together. There's no synergy between those relationships. There's no, you know, it doesn't pay off the same way as focusing on one niche where you can build all those relationships that connect with each other in ways that are, uh, you can't put value on those types of relationships that tie together in this weird, weird synergistic way that all of a sudden this one thing that you had, you know, this one relationship you built years ago pays off in this massive way that you would have never been able to expect or for C. So that's why I like niching down so much is just being able to put that much focus on not only skills and abilities, but relationships in your niche. Well, that's really big for me. And, you know, kind of from a confessional standpoint, the most difficult thing I've had to overcome that's contributed to my success as a business owner is my ego. This really prideful, really self-focused idea that, well, yeah, but um, if I'm digging three holes and the other guy's digging one, I'm like bigger, stronger, faster, smarter. I'm going to be able to beat them. You know, I'm awesome. You've just got three mediocre holes. Yeah. And that sort of ego that like when someone challenges you to a race, I'll dig one hole, you dig three. Your three are all going to be about equally deep. We'll see who has the, the deepest hole. That's sort of really like classic, like early 20s ego of, oh, I can do it. I totally am going to do it. <laughs> it was like, that's one of the most difficult things I had to overcome. And it wasn't until I started kind of slaying those demons and overcoming my ego of, yeah, but I'm awesome at stuff. It wasn't until I started getting over that, that ego that I started having any success whatsoever. So let's talk about this Venn diagram analogy here. When it comes to niching down, it's all about this Venn diagram overlapping three major areas. What are those three areas, Chris? Well, those three areas are passion money and being the best at something. Or I think just passion, money, and ability. Yeah. Me and Brian argue slightly over whether that third should be (laughs) being the best at something or ability. So imagine in your mind, close your eyes and imagine, if you will, three circles overlapping one another. I'm sure you guys have seen a Venn diagram. It's like one of the only useful things that you learn in school. It's three circles that all overlap each other. And there are certain places on that Venn diagram where two circles intersect each other. And there, there's one magical spot in the middle of the Venn diagram where all the three circles intersect. So if each one of those circles can be represented by passion, 
money and let's say it be number one or ability uh, for that third circle. It's where those all intersect that your niche lives. Yep. So what are you good at or in Chris's case, the best at that can make you money and that you are passionate about, at least to some degree. And it's, it's easier said than done. It's actually kind of hard to find one that has all three of those things. A lot of times they say you pick two, you don't get all three. But if you really think about it and you really look at your business in the past, or you look at your opportunities that are out there, or you look at the relationships you already have, you can find one that has at least part of all three of those. Yeah. And you know, I, I got to give a shout out to Jim Collins. He's an author that wrote um, some amazing business books. Definitely not the first business books you want to tackle. Good to great, um, built to last. How the Mighty Fall. The guy is a machine. He's absolutely incredible. We're stealing this from him. This is his Venn diagram. Well, I didn't steal from him. I, I was the one that talked about the Venn diagram and I'd never read any of his books. Oh, so no, this is a unique idea that uh, Jim Collins, who's considerably smarter than us, just also happened to have. I've probably seen it in some blog somewhere, I'm sure, and they probably stole it from him. Yeah. Well, when I'm sitting down and doing like a coach, like a coaching thing, when I'm meeting with a small business owner, it's like something I love to do for people that are friends uh, is coaching them on, on small business stuff is this is one of the first things I pull out of like, here's the Venn diagram. Show me where your business is. And they'll, and a lot of times they'll say, oh, well, I, I, it's my passion and I'm really good at it, but I can't make any money at it. There's no demand for it. So it's where the passion circle and the being the best circle intersect. Other people will say, well, I'm really good at this thing. And I'm making a lot of money at it, but I'm not passionate about it. So that's where those other two circles intersect, but it's not in the middle. When you have a business where it's the thing you're passionate about, it's something where there's actual demand and it pays well to do it. And you're really, really, really good at it. You, that, that's, that's the magic niche spot. That's where you start to have a successful business. That's your happy place. That's your happy place. And I think a really good exercise for people that are listening to the podcast is, is to ask yourself that question. Draw out the Venn diagram, three circles that intersect. If, and if, if you're thinking, I don't have any idea what a Venn diagram is, don't feel bad. Google Venn diagram, V-E-N-N diagram. I can't spell diagram, so I won't even try. <laughs> Google that. It, you're going to learn pretty quick what a Venn diagram is. Make this, put passion in one circle, money in another and put B number one or ability or whatever in the third, in the third circle, whichever you'd prefer. Start mapping out your, your niching ideas of how they lie in those three areas. Is one drawn, you know, in my world, like say I wanted to mix country music, that would be totally in the money area. <laughs> that would be all in the money diagram, probably not much in the skills or the passions, definitely not in the passions. Um, but some may be something I'm passionate about, but doesn't have much money tied to it. Uh, and I may be great at it or some that I'm really good at, but there's no money to it and I don't have any passion for. So you really got to find what is the best balance for all three of these that you can find and really focus your efforts on. Yeah. So, and just while we're at it, so let's talk about, um, you know, I used to be a producer. I would produce singer songwriters. So I was sort of niched down and, you know, we would make a record together and I would hire, you know, studio musicians and we'd, uh, fly down to Nashville or we'd hire them locally or what, um, I wanted to be an all-singing, all-dancing producer, a producer who did everything, who mixed everything. And so for me, I was really passionate about it. Um, so it definitely was in the passion circle. And it, it made money. You know, I definitely made money doing that. But I was terrible at it. I was so bad at it. And some of that is related to the niching issue. My be the best at it, the circle was huge. It was, there were so many different skills involved in being the producer that I wanted to be 
that I was just terrible at it. So as a result, I only had two circles there and I really only had one. It was really only the passion circle. The money wasn't that great. So I talked with a friend of mine the other day and one of the things that he does, he has not niched down, so to speak yet. He's got many different gigs that make up his yearly income. One of them was he is a drummer uh, and he tours with artists on the road. He's super passionate about it. He's extremely good at it, but the money's not there. And the money's not there specifically because when you're on the road touring, you might make a, like a, a really solid income at the show, but you might have to travel for two or three days to get to the show to make the really good hourly income that you make as a live drummer. So, you know, as he's trying to work that out and as you guys are trying to work that out, this is just such a great activity to draw out that Venn diagram and to put a couple dots on it. Where is your current business model right now? Or where is each of the things that you do for money on this Venn diagram? And if you can find something that you think might fit in the center of that Venn diagram, that's how you start to think about niching down. This is very, very powerful stuff. And I think it's one of the best activities you can do as a budding entrepreneur. I want to add to that because in my niche, mixing and mastering heavy music, you would not think there's a lot of money in that world. But there are multiple people with six-figure home studios or commercial studios even in my niche. So it is not necessarily the market with the most uh, money in it, which the heavy music market does not have nearly as much money in it as the country music world or the contemporary Christian music world. Those two markets specifically have so much money in it, but it's a matter of being the best in your market and having a lot of passion for it. You can make a lot of money in that niche, even if there's not technically a lot of money to be made in that niche. You see what I'm saying? It's you're capturing more of the smaller market because it's such a small niche. So one little caveat I had on that thing that I wanted to add. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, let's sum it up. We've got one last point here. Um, and th this is a very interesting point, Brian, why don't you grab that? Yeah. So this is one that I have seen people struggle with more than anything. And it's this thing where you don't always get to choose your niche. A lot of times your niche chooses you. And you know, when you're doing your, your exercise of finding that Venn diagram between passion, ability, and income, a lot of times there may be some that you don't have a lot of passion for yet. And this is where you may be getting work that's coming to you. And the example I use is one of my students, he was doing a lot of, he was trying to do a lot of heavy music here in Nashville, not a big music scene here for, for heavy music. But what people were coming to him were indie rock bands they were finding their way to him somehow through word of mouth. That was just what the market was giving him. And eventually he decided to just stop trying to build relationships in the heavy music world, stop trying to focus on finding artists in the heavy music world. That's just not what the market was giving him. He started focusing on indie rock. His income has gone up many multiples of what it was. His passion has grown for that niche. And so you can, you know, I don't know about you, Chris, but I would much rather work with really talented musicians in a genre that I don't have a ton of passion for than work in a genre that I am passionate about working with terrible musicians or not working at all. So a lot of times you can, you can grow a passion in an area that you didn't think you had, especially if that's what the market is giving you. So that's one thing is you don't always get to choose your niche. Yeah. So that's a super interesting thing. I think if you are constantly getting asked to do something, um, you should take note of that. If there is constantly some task or some service or some product that people keep coming back to you and you are not trying to market it, but word of mouth is working there, that is worth considering. Now, here's some heavy stuff. 
one of the biggest things that people think about with their passion circle is what am I passionate about now? They don't have vision for what will I be passionate about in five years or 10 years or 15. You have to consider that. Now, the biggest, most obvious thing here as far as passions go, you know, I know that our audience is predominantly men. I wish that wasn't so. I wish it was 50-50. But the big thing for men that they often fail to anticipate is if you're going to meet that special someone and eventually have kids, your passion circle is going to totally change, instantly totally change. I remember for me when my first child was born and boom, my world totally changed. And what I was passionate about looked radically different over literally in the course of like 10 seconds of like, here he comes, here he comes. Oh my gosh, I have a son. Whoa, I must provide. You know, like <laughs> it was a complete rewire moment for me as it is for most people. So as you're figuring this out, don't be short-sighted on the passion side of things. And I think this is what Brian is, is kind of getting at here is that what you're passionate about can change. And that doesn't mean that you weren't passionate about it before, or at least it might not mean that you weren't passionate about it before. So think about this. What do you still want to be doing in 10 years? What's going to allow you to have enough free time or enough predictability in your life to be able to hang out with your kids if that's something that you see in your future? Or, you know, if it's something where what you really want to do is move to Hawaii and that's sort of your life goal, being passionate about, um, I don't know, traditional Eskimo music, like, <laughs> like that, that's, that's not going to be compatible there. That was so out of left field, so I apologize. So that's the thing you got you to keep in mind is don't just think about what am I passionate about now? What can you still see yourself doing in 10 or 15 years and still loving it? Really important. And I see again and again and again that people miscalculate on that. They don't realize that their time will become so much more valuable if their life changes, if they get a serious girlfriend, if they get married, if they have kids, if their brother has kids, if their sister has kids, life can change dramatically in a very short amount of time. And when it does, 16 hours a day working at your small studio for peanuts might not seem as appealing as it does today. So keep that in mind. That's some dad advice for y'all here, <laughs> but definitely something you want to consider. Don't just look at passion as what do I love now? What will you still love in 10 years? So that is it for episode 12 of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast. Hopefully by now, you're starting to get some sort of idea about what it is you can do to niche down. Is it by offering one specific service and saying that you will only do that one thing and you will become known as that one go-to person for that one thing? Is it like me, you're going to find some small niche to be a part of and to dominate if you can. Whatever it is, it may take you a lot of thought and deliberation. You may have to make the Venn diagram like we mentioned, but do something, do anything to start figuring out what it is that you are going to do and become a specialist at. Remember, the world is run by specialists now. Hospitals are run that way. Corporations are run that way. And now the music industry is run that way. So where can you become a specialist? And how can you branch out your relationships to a ton of different people in that one niche, that one specific niche, building intentional relationships to further your career in this specific niche? So definitely some food for thought. Next week's episode is a special one to us because we actually get our first guest. Now, if you've been with us for a while, episode two and episode three of the Six Figure Home Studio podcast, that is where Chris and I interviewed each other. You got back our backstories. 
But this time, we both interview Billy Decker. Billy Decker is a Grammy-nominated country music mixing engineer. He's one of the biggest mixing engineers here in Nashville in the country music scene. He has records he's mixed that have millions and millions of records sold. He is the guy who has found his niche for sure. He has dominated the country music mixing niche, and I'm excited for you to hear his story to see how he has entrenched himself so deeply in the country music scene. So that'll be next week, next Tuesday to be specific. If you have any questions, any feedback, anything you want to tell us or let us know, you can always email us, podcast at the sixfigurehomestudio.com. That's podcast at the sixfigurehomestudio.com. Until next time, happy hustling. Whoa.